Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. Let us sing song for the dream. One of the gifts of doing this Spirit in Action radio program is all the connections and news of world healers that come my way. Back in June, I went again to the Midwest Renewable Energy Fair and met up with some more great folks doing beautiful work for the earth, and we've got one of them with me here today. Dan Dietrich is a member of a Stevens Point, Wisconsin-based group called the Interfaith Community for the Earth. And they're a good example of what a small group of inspired and dedicated workers can do to be part of energizing their city for the good of the planet. Before we get Dan Dietrich on the phone, Cheryl Wheeler, a recent Song of the Soul guest, is getting us in the right frame of mind with her song, Pointing at the Sun. Cheryl Wheeler. Speeding, sailing, spinning through the firmament firmament is speeding somewhere too So beautiful the mystery we gaze aloft in wonder At all the pieces we can see At all the stars we're under And here on earth we praise what God has done Every church proclaims the only one Ants and elephants have lives to run And all the plants are pointing at the sun Oh 
for us to see If somewhere we are zipping that way too Then some colossal junior high school nerd might be Adding one to one and getting two Through eyes the size of galaxies Blinking once an eon He's pondering a particle Big enough to be on Here on earth we praise what God has done Every church proclaims the only one lives to run And all the plants are pointing at the sun Ants and elephants have lives to run And all the plants are pointing Cheryl Wheeler pointing at the sun, and right now, Dan Dietrich joins us by phone from Stevens Point. Dan, I'm so pleased to have you here for Spirit in Action. Thank you much, Mark. I'm looking forward to talking with you. And it was so delightful to meet you at the Midwest Renewable Energy Fair. What's the full name? It's Renewable Energy and Sustainable Living. Yes. Of course, you were there staffing a booth for ICE, I-C-E, Interfaith Community for the Earth. Right. Mm -hmm. Having this wonderful little discussion with you there, I knew that there was some follow-up that I needed. So, first of all, let's spell out what ICE is. What's the Interfaith Community for the Earth? We are a nonprofit educational organization started five years ago here in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. We started out as members of 13 different faith communities. Our goal is, well, this is our statement of our philosophy, we are people of many faiths working together to educate ourselves and others as we advocate sustainable practices for the well-being of the earth. We're a group that was founded in order to deal with climate change. And as we're talking today, and there is such drought throughout the entire state of Wisconsin, I think it brings some emphasis to what we're working on. What are the 13 faith communities? Where do they lie on the spectrum? Our members are from a wide variety of different religions. We have people who are Baha'i, people who are Unitarian Universalists, people who are Catholic. I myself am a Presbyterian. We have members who are Muslim. We have many other faiths. We have people who are Methodists or members of the United Church of Christ. We have wide diversity, and it changes from time to time. We had at one time a very active member who was a Kankar, which is, uh, was her religion. She has since passed away, unfortunately. But we have a wide variety of religions, and we're open to people of any religion. And you said you started with 13 different faith communities. Has that grown, changed? What's happened? It has changed uh, quite a bit. We've had people from other communities, other faith communities join us. We've had, again, people pass away who are members of faith communities. 
people were active at the very beginning. We had a, a gentleman who was Buddhist who was very active in the founding of our organization and since has gotten ill and is not as active as he was, still helps us with some things, but is not as active on our board. So there's always an evolution with any organization, but we are open to people of all faiths, and for that matter, we're open to people that we call seekers, who are not a member of a faith community, but are spiritual and, and seeking uh, their way in life. Of course, you know the name of this program is Spirit in Action, so I particularly focus on faith as it's lived out in the world. Mm-hmm. Of course, I don't think that anybody has to be part of a religious community to have deep spiritual leadings in any direction. I certainly would never cut anybody off or demean them in any way for that. On the other hand, this organization, the Interfaith Community for the Earth, ICE, which I think is a great name, it specifically focuses on faith. Why faith? Good question. Because we've decided that in order to deal with one of the greatest moral issues of our time, global climate change, global warming, we need the power of faith. We need people in the various religious communities around the world to get together to give the moral force of religion to our efforts on the environment. We come from various faiths, but all these faiths believe that the earth is a sacred trust. All of them believe that. It is our responsibility to all life on Earth to deal with this climate crisis that we're facing. And how would, in character, what you do be different from, say, what the Sierra Club might do? We happen to have some members who are very active in the Sierra Club, as a matter of fact. It is different in that, for one thing, it's a local group. It is just for our little area here. It is people who know one another well. We get a a better understanding of various faith perspectives on what we are doing. I've been very impressed by the Baha'i perspective on the environment. It's quite a strong focus of their religion as it is of the Unitarian Universalist religion, for example, but also of the Muslim religion. So we get different perspectives on it. We get a unity from people of a wide diversity of religions getting together. We form a community, and this, I think, enables us to work well together, and we have again, the moral force of religion on our side. So I think that that is what helps us. It helps us in deciding what kinds of things to concentrate, what what topics to deal with, and approaches to take to them. So wide variety of benefits, I think, to this business of having people of many faiths joining together. You know, a lot of people, I imagine, very easily, Dan, could think of religion and environment in oppositional terms. That is to say that there's a number of people on the fundamentalist end, and certainly not all of them by any means, who take a kind of an adversarial, you know, what we're here to do is tame the earth. What we're here to do is dominate. We're the bosses and that the environment or the earth is here to serve us. How do you think of that within your group, maybe you personally or the interfaith community for the earth as a whole? I think that people's perspectives on the environment are evolving, and I think this goes for people who are fundamentalists as well. There are, as you undoubtedly know, many fundamentalists now who have got a very great concern about the environment. Those who believe that we are going to be passing away very soon, any day now, and therefore concern about the environment is a waste of time, and the quicker the environmental degradation happens, the closer we are to the end time those people are obviously not going to be working with us to mitigate the environmental disaster. But a great many people are seeing this as a matter of when God created the universe, again, for those religions that 
have a belief in God, and some religions do not, especially some Eastern religions, but for those that do, we tend to believe that at the creation, the intention was for the well-being of all God's creatures, and that we are, as stewards, doing God's will in helping God to sustain the world and bring it forward. So I think that's, it's not an opposition between people of the right and the left. I think it's a, a growing awareness of what God's will is for the world. Do you do some kind of religious study underpinnings for your action, or does every group just come with whatever they have as their background? Is there a study guide that comes from this faith perspective? We have not done a religious study as a group. We begin each of our board meetings with a prayer, and it rotates through our board. So we get a number of different faith perspectives presented in those prayers. We have had panel discussions at which people of various faiths have gotten together and presented their faith's perspective, individual perspectives on the environment and why they are involved in the work of the interfaith community for the earth. So that has happened. We have not, though, in-depth studied all religions as a group. Individually, we may. I've, I've done a lot of reading myself about a variety of religions and found that very useful to me in understanding my own religious perspective. But uh, as a group, we have not done that yet. We may. So what are some of the activities that you've done? How have you lived out, maybe at the beginning, maybe now? I, I, th I assume this is morphing over time. The evolution of the Interfaith Community for the Earth has been fascinating. It began with a Step It Up rally. I don't know if you remember back to 2006 when Bill McKibben called for the first rally worldwide, actually, to call attention to climate change. It was called the Step It Up rally. The first one was. I think the second one also was. But he urged people to gather on church steps in order to proclaim the importance of global climate change and our responsibility for responding to it. Our pastor at our church had invited people to meet on our church steps. We got the word out to people of all different faith communities in our community. And a lot of people showed up on our church steps, and we had a demonstration. We had a march, and we got the names of the people who showed up on those steps. We were very delighted to meet them. Many of them we hadn't met before, hadn't worked with before. And after that, we began meeting. Uh, again, our pastor had invited people to get together and just talk a little bit about forming an interfaith environmental coalition. The first meeting, we had 19 people. Again, a couple of Catholic congregations, two uh, ELCA congregations, Presbyterians, Methodists, variety of things. And then we also started meeting and talking about what we wanted to do. We had a total of nine meetings during which we worked on what our organization might do and could do and should we form it and how to form it and came up with our mission statement that I read to you earlier. After that, we decided, okay, we've got a group. How are we going to continue this education of ourselves and the community? And we began with the documentary, The Power of Community, at the local library talking about Cuba's response to the sudden loss of oil and markets following the collapse of the Soviet Union. And then we went on to a variety of things. In our community, we're very interested in sustainable agriculture. It's a major focus of a lot of people. So we, for example, that same year, 2007, had a preservation primer, or primer, depending on how you pronounce it, introduction to canning, freezing, drying fruits and vegetables, had five speakers at our local public library, brought people in on that. I'm involved myself with another group called Wild Ones, Native Plants, Natural Landscapes. It's an educational group 
about increasing biodiversity by encouraging people to use native plants in their yards and their gardens and their prairies, whatever. So I gave a little talk about sustainable yards and gardens. We had somebody come in. His name is Gerald Iverson. He's National Coordinator of Alternatives for Simple Living. And we brought him in, into the community. That year we again had another Step It Up rally. We had a session on verma composting, on using worms and that kind of thing, planting your garden, this sort of thing. Wide variety of things dealing with gardening and food and sustainability in that sort of area. Stevens Point is also an eco-municipality, and in 2007 was just getting started on this. So we had a citywide meeting, again at the public library, about the eco-municipality. Where are we? It was the first anniversary of our getting that started, and, and how was that going? Uh, we followed that up with our first panel at the MREA Energy Fair. That was, again, about spiritual dimensions of caring for the earth. We had people from various religions presenting that. We had the International Day of Climate Action. We had a, an ecologist, Alan Haney, talking about climate change. And we had quite a large number of people show up for that and listen to his perspective on what, what does the research say about climate change. 2010, we had the film A Chemical Reaction shown here, which was a fascinating film. It deals with the impact of lawn chemicals on the water and on people's lives and how we can handle that sort of thing. Also in 2010, we ran a half-page ad in our two local newspapers, the Stevens Point Journal and the Portage County Gazette, and the title on the ad was The Earth is Holy. And it was designed to raise people's awareness of climate change and we had a long list of people from throughout our community who signed it and indicated their concern about climate change. And we also had a list of uh, their faith communities, what communities they were members of. Co-sponsored a screening of the film Six Degrees That Could Change the World, talking about global climate change, trying to raise people awareness about it. So those are just some of the things uh, that we've done over the years. We've been an active organization. We're not a very large organization. We're not enormous, but we have been very busy. Uh, we have a lot of people committed to this cause. Most recently, we've been very much involved with the Greenhouse Project here in Stevens Point. We have an organization called Farm Shed, and they're working on sustainable gardening, and we're lending our support to that, volunteering, helping them with labor and with money to see if they can get that going to help people learn more about how to grow their own food, how to market their food to commercial outlets, that sort of thing. So it's been quite an interesting journey. You know, you said Stevens Points is an eco-community. Mm -hmm. Is this on the order of the natural step? I think Ashland did that, for instance. That's one of the first places in Wisconsin to do it. What does this imply? Does the government actually operate differently because it's an eco-community? Yes, I think that you're exactly right, and that's the group that we're following their model. The term we use for it is an eco-municipality. It involves the government working to reduce its use of non-renewable energy and to lower its carbon footprint. And it, it does follow that guideline, and we have spent quite a while reading their books and their materials and trying to go in that direction. And so if someone came to Stevens Point, could they tell that Stevens Point is a special oasis of care for the earth? They would see some indicators here. It is a journey, and we have not arrived at the end of it yet. But they would notice, for example, that we have electric buses here. We have buses uh, working on renewable energy. We have 
other things going on in the community that are designed to help us get to where we ought to be as a community. Again, the efforts on sustainability are pretty dramatic here as compared with many other communities. That's because of the Central Rivers Farm Shed and all the effort they've put into sustainability in our community as well. So many elements within our community are working together on this. You know, if people know about Wisconsin from outside, they would probably assume that Madison is the liberal hotbed, the one that's going to be cutting edge in terms of environmental work. Stevens Point is not that same hotbed, perhaps, or maybe I'm just misunderstanding what the community's like. Is this from a liberal end that this is coming, or is it just mainstream? Well, from a political perspective, Stevens Point is rather liberal, yes, along with Milwaukee and Madison. We are a fairly liberal community, but we are very much an environmental community, very much concerned about that. Part of it, I think, has to do with the fact that the Midwest Renewable Energy Association is located five miles east of town, and that has the largest and oldest energy fair in the nation and is focusing on renewable energy and concentrating on training people to install solar collectors and put in hydronic heat in their house and have solar thermal collectors, photovoltaics. That's their emphasis. So this has been something that has been here for a good long time in, in central Wisconsin. The fact that we have the nation's finest college of natural resources at the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point is um, also a, a reason why we focus so heavily on these matters. We, we have people working on biofuels, and a lot of people here are very concerned about this and are working hard on it. We talked earlier about, I guess, the rising role of people on the more evangelical or perhaps fundamentalist conservative yes. edge mm-hmm. uh, embracing environmental concerns. Yes. Has that shown up within your group? Are there members of your group who are on that evangelical fringe? I don't know of any offhand. We did have some people sign that ad that went in the newspaper about the importance of global climate change and our response to it. So there was some support from the community then. Those people have not shown up on our board yet. I am hopeful that they will. I've had a wide range of guests and topics related to the environment over the seven years that have been doing Northern Spirit Radio programs, and specifically Spirit in Action. I've had Calvin DeWitt on, Rita Nakashima Brock, contributes in that area. Dr. Ken Strong, he's from the Chicago Theological Seminary, and he lectures on eco-justice. I also have musicians, both for Spirit in Action and for Song of the Soul, whose songs speak about the need to care for creation and raise our compassion for the plants and animals who are our neighbors, after all. And now might be a good time to listen to one of the great troubadours of Wisconsin's environment, Ken Longquist, and his song, inspired by a Sand County almanac. His song is, The Woods Are Well. forest green The bear and the bobcat lurk unseen The owl gives a hoot as if to tell The woods are well 
ocean swim with rainbow trout A skunk and fox run about Splash and otter slipped and fell Oh, the woods are well From the prairie to the pine Summers turn to autumn land to the hills blows a bitter wind and in the woods now deep and still spring is not forgotten seasons must turn and turn again the flight of the geese on the cold north wind as deer in the thickets hide again Mice and squirrel in a good oak dwell Oh, the woods are well And under the light of the silvery From a lonesome room And the owl gives a hoot As if to tell are well by a recent Song of the Soul guest, Ken Longquist, a song as much of aspiration as actuality. I'm visiting for today's Spirit in Action program with Dan Dietrich of Interfaith Community for the Earth, a group in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Of course, Dan, when I think of the kind of connection to the Earth's spirituality on this continent, I think of the various Native American communities and the way they lived in better balance with the land and woods. And Stevens Point, after all, is not all that far from the Menominee Nation tribal forest up around Shano, which should be an inspiration to all of us about a better way to care for and profit from the woods. Does the Interfaith Community for the Earth and its members, do you draw on that kind of Native American spirituality as well? To some extent, we certainly do. I would have been working at getting a friend of mine who is a member of the Wild Ones Native Plants Natural Landscapes involved with the Interfaith Community for the Earth as well. He's a Native American and very knowledgeable about their religious practices and especially about their environmental consciousness. He is a good man. I hope to get him on our board someday soon. But again, we have read lots about Native spirituality and had prayers, etc., involved with our board meetings on occasion. There's been a large amount of controversy, I think, over the last 10 years about climate change and about global warming. Is it caused by people, or is it just part of the natural warming, cooling of the earth like the ice ages? I take it that there's no doubt in your mind 
but that it's linked with human emissions of carbon. Right. Is there that controversy? Do you see that as being an important issue in terms of education of the public? I believe that controversy is manufactured. And it's manufactured by the oil industry. It's manufactured by those who have a lot to gain from having people believe that climate change is not caused by human beings, but is instead caused by volcanoes or whatever it might be, sunspots. I believe that about 95 to 98% of the climate scientists around the world are in complete unanimity on this business of climate change being human-caused. This is not really a question. It's a fact for which there is solid scientific evidence. We are having to deal with climate change deniers who have been misinformed, and very deliberately so, by organizations which are funded by the oil industry and find it in their best interest, or the coal industry or whatever it might be, find it in their best interest to have the general public believe that this is all a ruse, it's a a fake, it doesn't exist. But uh, the fact of the matter is it does, and we're all experiencing it on a daily basis already, and in the years ahead, it's only going to get worse. So either we wake up and deal with the reality, or we continue to be put to sleep by the people for whom it's in their best interest that we not be awake and active as stewards of this planet. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Spirit in Action. I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet for this Northern Spirit Radio production. Our website, northernspiritradio.org. You can come to the site, find seven years of archives, listen to or download all of our seven years of wonderful people doing great things for the earth and for people in general, for the animals. It's people doing good on this earth. And I try and trace particularly the faith roots of that. So I'm very honored today to have with me Dan Dietrich, who is part of Interfaith Community for the Earth, ICE. What a great group to fight global warming, ICE. They're affiliated with the Wisconsin Interfaith Power and Light. That website is wisconsinipl.org. And then you can track your way to Dan Dietrich and the Interfaith Community for the Earth. His wife, Diane Dietrich, is head of the local organization. You can call them, if you wish, at 715-344-1063. Again, that was 715-344-1063. Of course, I'll have these links on my site, northernspiritradio.org. While you're there, please post a comment. It's so helpful to have your feedback, and you can leave a donation. There's many ways to connect to our many wonderfully working guests. Again, Dan Dietrich is here with us today for Interfaith Community for the Earth, ICE. We're talking about the work they're doing for the Earth, Theologically, Dan, you as a Presbyterian perhaps don't have exactly the same theology as your Muslim members or your Baha'i members or whatever. As a Presbyterian, how have you been taught? Did you start out being an environmentalist? Is this something that's 50 years long in your life or is it 10 years? I started out in a very religious family. It was a Catholic family. For high school, I went to a Catholic seminary. One year of college, I was in a Catholic seminary. I then left the Catholic faith not long after I was married and eventually found my way to the Presbyterian faith. I've now been involved with our local church here in Stevens Point for the past, oh, I don't know, 15 or so, 20 years, and there someplace. 
I am a deacon. I'm an ordained deacon, ordained elder of the church. I am the moderator of our board of deacons on our church. So that's my faith journey up until this point. The Christian perspective in general, I believe, on the environment is that of stewardship, that creation puts a responsibility on us, and that responsibility is one of care for the creation. There are materials in the Old Testament talking about woe be to him who places house next to house and drives all the environment away. There is some of that going on, I believe, right now. We are overpopulating this planet, in my point of view, and this is a point of view widely shared, I believe. We have a responsibility to future generations and to the environment today to use our resources wisely so that they will be available for future generations, and this is a moral responsibility. God created the world for good, not to be destroyed. What we have to figure out is how do we accomplish God's desires in the world. That's my perspective based on my religious teachings that I've had. You use the word stewardship, and I'm certainly with you. That's totally my perspective. A lot of people look and say, no, right there in the first chapter, second chapter of Genesis, God gives man dominion over the earth. You're not a dominion guy, I guess. Well, we have dominion in the sense that we unquestionably have enormous power over the earth, and we have demonstrated that in a variety of ways, including the current global warming that's going on. So we have power. There's no question about this. But that power is supposed to be used for what I believe to be good purposes, for what God wants us to do, and therefore stewardship is the way we exhibit that power if we are following God's will. That's my take on it. I think it's somewhat of an easy sell in our society to talk about organics, for instance, because that's going to relate to our health. That's poisoning us, our kids. Sometimes it's a harder sell to get people to back off from what John DeGraff described as affluenza, this kind of endless feeding frenzy. We've got to buy more. We've got to do progress consists of always having 5% more than you had last year. Is there a way that ICE, or you particularly, cope with that part of the American mentality? We are very aware of it, no question about that. And the way we are coping is individually deciding what we can do to lower our carbon footprint. How can we in our own lives, in our own families' lives, reduce our use of things so that other people will have a better life as well? So I have read Affluenza and I have watched the video and shown the video at my church of Affluenza. I think it's an important document. I think in our faith communities we can spread that word and in larger communities we can spread it as well. I'm hopeful that through ICE we are also going to get that word out because I think that the members of ICE would agree that our function in life is not to be consumers but is instead to be human beings who benefit the entirety of God's creation. There's some groups that teach a kind of a prosperity theology. You know, if you either act as God wants or if you have the right frame of mind, you can be richer and you can have it all. I think that that kind of theology doesn't look at if I have more, what does that mean other people have? It assumes kind of a a limitless universe rather than a spaceship Earth. Right, exactly. How does that relate to 
your personal theology or maybe the theology of the Presbyterians or perhaps the theology of the interfaith community for the earth? Well, I, I don't claim that the interfaith community for the earth has a theology. We have a variety of them, but we meld in this one area, I think. As far as how my own approach to theology deals with that, I think my model is Jesus, and I don't recall him being extremely wealthy. His story is not a story that turns on the fact of his having enormous prosperity. I don't recall that he did. As I recall, his approach was to worry about the least among us and to be concerned for the children, for the widow, for those who are poor. That is the same approach which I believe the Muslim faith advocates, that we are concerned not with getting more and more and more, but making sure more and more people have what they need to live good, worthwhile lives. So I'm, I'm not, I don't know where that theology comes from, and it certainly doesn't, to me, sound like a Christian theology from my perspective, but that's where I come from. From my perspective, and I think you know I'm Quaker, one of the central tenets, or it's something that has evolved within Quaker circles, is what we call a peace testimony. And one way that we've thought about concerns with the earth is peace with the earth, peace with the other species. There's also the realm of resource wars that are going to be pending as water becomes more scarce. You know, as more of the earth becomes desert, people fight over the last scraps of land that are still verdant. Is there any peace orientation within interfaith community for the earth? Or perhaps, again, your personal or Presbyterian perspective. How important is peace as part of this? While the interfaith community for the earth is not primarily about issues of war and peace, the members of the interfaith community for the earth are all concerned about that issue. I personally am very concerned about the fact that our country has been going from war to war to war, seems to be very much a militaristic country, and this is something which I don't think is in accord with the uh, teachings of Jesus Christ. I believe in giving to Caesar that which is Caesar's, but I don't believe that means we have an obligation to destroy other peoples and kill at random, or for that matter, not at random, but intentionally. We have a lot of work to do in the area of peace. I admire the work that the Friends have done in this field for many, many years, and I think all of us can learn from that. One of my very first interviews seven years ago was with someone who lived off the grid. She told me seven years ago that they got their household down to two bags of garbage per year. That really is involves reducing one's ecological footprint on the earth. Is that the kind of thing that you also deal with with respect to ICE or personally? I mean, are you willing to come out and on the radio here right now, Dan, tell us how many bags of garbage you produce per year? I haven't the faintest idea how many bags of garbage <laughs> I produce. Probably more than year. two, can yes, we say? Definitely more than two. But I do remember when I was going to school in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, I had a friend who also was working very hard to simplify, and he didn't have garbage pickup, so he asked me one time whether I would take his garbage from him for the past month, and I said, sure, and he gave me a very small paper bag, mainly filled with Kleenex, as I recall. Everything else he had found a way to recycle, 
and we are very conscious recyclers here. We do not have as much garbage as many people produce, but we still have uh, garbage that goes out at our house. We built our house to be energy efficient. It's a passive solar home. We've got solar thermal collectors in back of the house. We have we reduced the size of the house from what we were living in before. We have made it as energy efficient as we possibly can. We are working at this whole business of being good stewards. We've got a long way to go. I, I realize that. I think we all do. But I think we're moving the right direction, and I hope I can help other people who want to do that move in the same direction. I think you've got a lot of community-supported agriculture, more local food being produced around Stevens Point, where you live. Definitely. Has there been an effort to do the local eating challenge, the, you know, try and eat within 10 or 100 miles of where you live? Has that been happening locally as well? That is definitely the direction that the Central Rivers Farm Shed is moving. The idea is we want to have a sustainable community here where we can sustain ourselves with the food that we grow locally here. We're fortunate to live in an area which has got wonderful agricultural land here. We are going that way. I don't know of people who have actually succeeded and never eat anything that is not grown within 10 miles, but I know a lot of people who are moving in that direction and very consciously purchasing food from our farmer's market, which we have here in our area, or purchasing food through their CSAs, their community-supported agriculture. We ourselves, again, have our own little gardens that we've got going. That helps us with our sustainability to some extent. Of course, one of the challenges we have, you're in Wisconsin, I'm in Wisconsin, Stevens Point and Eau Claire do not have nine months of growing season here. We're quite limited. So a farmer's market or your community-supported agriculture, they're actively producing food within a handful of months. Right. How do you deal with that when you're trying to be environmentally responsible? How do you make your food local for you in Stevens Point when we've got such a limited growing season compared to Jackson, Mississippi? The technique is called canning or drying or freezing. And we have had workshops on all of these techniques for preserving food. We have master preservers here, some of whom are very much involved with our organization. We have people who are putting up greenhouses in order to extend the growing season and having two seasons instead of one in which to grow their their food during the year. I, we know of people around here who are doing that. So we're doing what we can and moving in the right direction. Again, not there yet for most of us, but we're working on it. It may be, seem a little bit ironic, but global warming means that we've got a larger growing season in Wisconsin yeah. than we used to have, which maybe makes it more possible for us to reduce our carbon footprint mm-hmm. by reducing how far we have to import food from. There's good things about it and bad. There's no question about it. And we are, are blessed in many regards here in central Wisconsin in that we are going to be having the environment of Tennessee here pretty close the heat of Tennessee. The question is, will we have the water that would be necessary? What's it going to do? From the experts that I've heard, there are going to be species that no longer live here, such as the loon. There are going to be trees, such as the tamarack, which can't grow because it's going to be too too warm. So it's not unmitigated wonderfulness, even the fact that we are going to have a little bit more warmth, maybe a longer growing season. It doesn't necessarily mean that we are going to be uh, the food basket here 
There's also the drawing down of the aquifers. And that is going on right now. It has been for years. We are in an area of the state, as you may know, that was once called the Central Desert. And then when they discovered the aquifer underneath central Wisconsin, they changed the name to the Golden Sands region. And we have pivot irrigation systems everywhere here. They are very productive. They work well. Lots of nitrogen put into the soil and lots of corn, lots of soybeans, lots of other produce. Uh, all depending on that aquifer, and that aquifer is going down. So the question is, how long can we depend on that, and what can we do to reduce our dependency on that aquifer? There's so many different aspects of this that are so important. Yeah. Of course, it's grasping at straws, if you will, because if you try and fix one thing, right. uh, certainly another problem can be caused by that. Exactly. If we switch to wind power, we start killing birds or creating noise pollution, etc. It's not a simple solution, oh, no. but it's so wonderful that you're doing this work to improve it. One of the reasons that I wanted to interview you, Dan, and find out what Interfaith Community for the Earth was doing as a local organizing faith community, extended faith community in central Wisconsin, I wanted to figure out if there's some kind of lessons that you've learned that we could pass on to other people. Other people may want to be organizing in the same way. Are there any lessons that you can pass on? Is there something about how the organization works or what motivates it or what sustains it that other people could perhaps benefit from having your knowledge? Again, an excellent, excellent question. I wish I did have some really sage advice for you. The thing that we did that I'm proudest of is that we formed a community. We, we call ourselves the Interfaith Community for the Earth, and we are a community. I have very close friends now of a wide variety of faiths who are involved with this work with me. And I think that's the direction to go. We are a 501c3 organization, and we haven't got the paperwork back from the state, but we've applied for it. But we've been around for six years, and yet we haven't got that paperwork. But it's not the paperwork that's important. What's important is that you have the foundation of people who have a common interest, a common commitment to the environment, and form a community. So my advice to anybody out there, this, was, this is not a tricky thing to do if you're at all interested in forming a similar interfaith activity, or organization rather, the best way to do it is get the word out through the faith communities that you've got. Make sure that people know you're open to those who are seekers, spiritual seekers as well and bring people around the table to share some food, for example, and talk, uh, open up to one another, and see if you can get things moving. I think this is a, a model that can be replicated in hundreds of places if people are committed to doing something about global climate change. Well, I'm grateful that you folks there in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, have taken the lead locally to find a way forward to plant these seeds for our future makes such a difference. You're an inspiration to us, and I thank you so much for joining me, Dan, for Spirit in Action. Thank you so much. That was Dan Dietrich of ICE, Interfaith Community for the Earth, affiliated with Wisconsin Interfaith Power and Light, their website, wisconsinipl.org, and find more links on mynorthernspiritradio.org. We'll send you out for today's Spirit in Action with one more inspirational song by a fine, wonderful, wilderness-walking man who died a couple years back, Walking Jim Stoltz. 
His friends and family shared his music on my programs a couple times, and I'm passing on one of them to you. One Land, One Heart by Jim Stoltz. I'm a woman, I'm a man, I'm a child of the land Roots tap to this earth, no matter where I stand I'm a rich one, I'm a poor one, I'm the orphan locked outside I'm the family that you'll always have, walking at your side I'm a beggar, I'm a thief, I'm one who still believes I'm the farmer kicking dust, but still I'm planting seeds I'm the promise, I'm the lie, I'm the glint that lights your eye I'm the spirit and the wind, I'm the fire that never dies One native tongue on the sparrow's piercing note the arms within your coat on the spark within the darkness that lights the flame of hope Yeah. 
powerful song of connection to the earth and to all the people of the earth. One Land, One Heart by Walkin' Jim Stoltz. Jim's music for the earth was featured on a Spirit in Action program over a year ago, but today Dan Dietrich was our Spirit in Action guest. Next week, we're going to be visiting with Mel White. You may or may not have heard of Mel White, but he was ghostwriter for a number of nationally known fundamentalist folks like Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson, and Billy Graham, including, surprisingly, for their autobiographies. When Mel accepted his sexual orientation as a gift from God, he did a major turnaround and began working to expose the deceptions and manipulations of Christian fundamentalists that harness and fan so much hate of gays and others. Next week, I'll be talking to Mel White about his work with the organization he founded, Soul Force, and his book, Holy Terror, Lies the Christian Right Tells Us to Deny Gay Equality. I'll see you then for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio. You can listen to our programs and find links and information about us and our guests on our website, northernspiritradio.org. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice.